Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Buckle up, Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I'm joined once again by the wonderful Paul Karp from The Guardian. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always good to have Paul on. And Paul has recommended our topic for this week. It is on Christos Chalkis's book, Dead Europe. Yes, I, uh, I made you re- made, read a novel just like we're in a book club. Yeah, you made me read. Maybe you I, made me read. Maybe I'm the sadist <laughs> after all. <laughs> now, since it was Paul's recommendation, I'm going to leave it to him to introduce this book. Uh, yeah, so first of all, starting with the author, uh, Christos Tsiolkos is a gay Greek-Australian um, predominantly novelist. Uh, and he's famous for novels about Australian suburban life, particularly the migrant experience, um, such as The Slap and Barracuda. Uh, gay fans will also likely be familiar with Loaded, his debut novel about a repressed gay Greek-Australian youth in Melbourne, which was later adapted into movie Head On, starring Alex Dimitriadis. Um, and I didn't like it. Oh, you didn't like it? <laughs> no. Why not? I don't, I don't. We'll get into why. I think we'll get into why because I think I have an issue with his style. Which other which other <laughs> novels have you read? Uh, so so I've only seen. So this is really bad. I've only seen uh, had, like the films and miniseries derived from his books. This was the first time reading him, but it uh, it affirmed a lot of my prejudices about Shulkers. Oh dear. Well, uh, this, I guess, is a reader recommendation because I I set Dead Europe um, when I was reminded by a a listener, uh, Chris, that Solkos is a big fan of Salo, which we reviewed a few weeks ago, and he even wrote a play based on it. Um, He also has a new novel uh, out soon called Damascus, uh, which I haven't read, uh, but today we'll be casting a little further back to Dead Europe, which was published in 2005. So I think... We don't want to spoil the book right off the bat, so it might be worth just kind of giving a broad overview of what the book is about so that if people 
want to stop this podcast and go read the book and then come back, let's do that at the very start. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll start from the top and, and give a big warning before I get to any huge spoilers. Um, so the protagonist, Isaac, is a gay Greek-Australian photographer who travels to Europe on a pilgrimage of self-discovery when he's invited for an exhibition of his photographs in Greece. Um, he discovers a gritty and sinister Europe, far from the gleaming marble and picture-perfect moments promised by postcards and Kentucky tours. Underage rent boys, materialism, sadism, pornography, and rape. The whole novel is stinking with the odours of semen, shit, piss, and blood. Through recollections of... Oh, you're making it sound far more exciting than it is. It's great! What are you talking about? Continue, (laughs) continue. Through recollections of his childhood in Australia and his grandparents' life in a rural village of Greece during World War II, we learn Isaac's family is cursed. His grandparents, Lucia and Mikali, were paid to harbour a Jewish boy from the Nazis. But when otherwise Baron Lucia falls pregnant to the boy, she urges Mikali to kill him. And the boy's demon then stalks Isaac's mother, Rebecca, into the new world. And Isaac, as he travels through the old world of Athens, Prague, Paris, Amsterdam, Cambridge and London. The, the way, I, as I was like midway through uh, reading this book, uh, my, my immediate response to Paul was like, all the spooky shit is like metaphors and shit, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's my. <laughs> and you said it as if it was a bad thing. Can you can you explain what what why that was the case? Okay, I think okay. So we're gonna get into the the review part of this. So if you have if you want to read the book, go read the book first before uh, we prejudice you with our our very biased views on these things. Because I, I think I, I'm 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 right in thinking, Paul. You you really like this book, don't you? Yeah, I do. I thought you would too, because I mean. The first threshold for something getting on the on the show is is it sinister enough? And I thought this this would be sinister enough for you, was it? No. Uh, and I'll try and explain I'll try and explain why. Because um, I don't think it's me just being like um, shitting on like a like an Australian author that I already have like a slight prejudice against. Mainly because like Christos Chilkis, um, and if we're mispronouncing that name, I apologize. Uh, he, he is kind of, he's a, a, um, how do I want to describe this? He is a, uh, a darling of the Australian literature scene. I think that's, that's fair to say, right? Yeah, but probably for more recent novels that involve, um, less sex with barely legal rent boys, like he's, he's become a bit more, um, mainstream and respectable. Um, but I guess all of his novels would be categorized as literary fiction so yeah he's he's got a good rep and and you know he he's known for kind of that the more intellectual exploration of like themes and heritage and culture and identity and, and all of those sorts of ideas and so that that automatically put me as a bit of a prejudice against him and then i have as... i have the perfect quote uh that i that, that absolutely jumped out at me from the novel after your complaint that there were there were too many themes and imagery uh, that stood for, for things like, you know, moral lessons. So, yeah. Uh, it, it comes from a, a, a section of the novel where Isaac is recollecting um, a, a lecture by his uh, photography teacher who's discussing the ethics of art. And he says, um, for her, art could only be democratic. What about horror, we'd counter? She would flash images of Dachau and Vietnam on the overhead projector. Horror? Without compassion was exploitation, she argued. So I, I wanted to I wanted to level that so, charge at you that if you, if 
if you don't like things that are that are sinister because the the the, the horrific imagery stands for something, um, are you just in favour of exploitation? And where oh, I am where is definitely where is in favour of exploitation. <laughs> Well, so, so this is so. It doesn't surprise me um, that Telkis is a fan of Salo. I'm assuming he's a huge fan of like Henry Miller and William Burroughs, and you know all these transgressive writers. But he's not a transgressive writer. Like when I was reading this book, it, it struck me as someone's attempt at being transgressive and nihilistic, um, but not actually having the capacity to understand or appreciate darkness. Can I can I just give the listeners uh, 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 you know some examples but as a brief rebuttal to the claim that he's not a transgressive writer. I mean, in this novel, the protagonist uh, fucks rent boys who are barely legal or probably underage. I'm mostly underage, he, yeah. He uh, develops a vampiric bloodlust uh, that is sated by drinking menstrual blood uh, drinking um, blood from bandages in waste paper baskets, um, licking the wounds of of people that are you know um, beaten or abused uh, that he that he meets along uh, along the way. So I mean, the claim that it's not transgressive, a, a, a brief uh, a, a brief read of the the, the, the many Amazon reviews uh, of people that wussed out. Well, <laughs> I am. Um, I wanted. I want to talk about that because because I was originally skeptical about this. The only reason um, I ended up agreeing to um, end up doing this on the show because I was originally skeptical that it would be appropriate for sinister sissies, and then I looked on these Amazon reviews, and it's things like. A book full of unlikable people doing unpleasant things to each other. Two stars. I couldn't even make it halfway. It was unpleasantly sexually explicit and violent. One star. The gratuitous and woeful self-indulgent sex scenes were gross and off-putting. Two stars. So I was like, cool. This is like actually going to be something that I'm into because it's alienating his core audience. Um, But the book itself is this really poorly integrated blend of attempts at nihilism this kind of magical realist stuff and historical fiction and the the stuff that you were talking about earlier of what you see as like very clearly transgressive things seem really artificial to me so there's things like heroin addicted parents the like former neo-nazi boyfriend the teenage hustlers the pedophilic sex parties the like drinking of menstrual blood Sure, in isolation, those things seem transgressive, but they, they're just so clumsy that it just, to me, came off as Tilkus being like, um, look at how edgy and dark I am. But it's like a sheltered boy's view- version of being a nihilist. It is, it is not authentically nihilistic. He is not a Henry Miller. He is not a William Burroughs. He is not a Brett Easton Ellis. There is not an authentic love of nihilism there. Um, and I, I made that comment about like lessons and stuff. It's because every time I was reading something that was meant to be really, really transgressive, implicit in the text was like Telkis's voice being like, it really makes you think, doesn't it? Like that, that's the that's the impression that I got from reading this book. I don't know. You've read a bunch of reviews that didn't like the novel because it was gross, and I think that you don't like the novel because it has a message. I think they're both um, pretty kind of two D approaches to it. Um, in terms of it, in ter- in terms 
In terms of it being artificial uh, or clumsy or, or forced or, or whatever, I, I would appreciate some examples to substantiate that because I I, I, I find uh, the descriptions of, um, f- for example, uh, the sort of ritualistic uh, rape in the club scene, um, the the haunting um, image of the um, boy demon that comes back uh, in his photographs uh, that he takes on the trip as he gets them developed. Um, I, I find uh, found those things quite compelling. So, I mean, I, I'd appreciate more detail about what you found clumsy or artificial about it. Okay, well, what about what about the kind of shoot in, like little little dark elements, like the the parents being addicted to heroin, right? Did that seem like like narratively convincing? Like to me, that was like, ooh, let's just add this little edge in there, this little dark you, edge. How do you the- uh, actually transgress rather than uh, j- just uh, spray yourself with the allure of transgression? Because couldn't couldn't a viewer watch uh, Silo and say, oh, and now they're now they're you know eating spoonfuls of shit. Now they're just sawing their heads off, just going for you know the most uh, sensational you know the, the most sensational aspect there. Like, what distinguishes those things in your mind? I think in my mind, it's whether or not the person is actually putting themselves in a position of like dark fantasy, like actually giving way to dark fantasy. I will say there are points in the kind of pederast, pedophilic sexual scenes where I do get a hint that Silkis is is almost exploring, you know, dark desires that he might actually have, or at least giving his all in trying to actually describe those desires. Well, but before we defame anyone, I mean, no, <laughs> we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that Isaac <laughs> is a, a protagonist, not just a, a cut and paste job of the uh, of the author between the pages. Sorry, I didn't mean it quite the, the way that it the pederasty yeah, but... and the, the the pedo stuff is is uh, pretty realistic. Yes, yeah, and 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 there is there is descriptive components to it, and it feels a bit more authentic than um, the the kind of a lot of the dialogue that they have so soon uh, much of the book involves him traveling around Europe and having these dialogues with people that are to varying levels like quite anti-semitic or like very flawed or all those sorts of things to me all of that dialogue is like artificially set up to create this feeling of like look at how fucked up everyone is and none of those people seemed real to me similarly to the the kind of the the um the major one is it's in prague i'm pretty sure that he has this um he meets this porn person who and they end up going to like an underage sex thing um that to me didn't seem realistic. It seemed completely artificial. It seemed like a really um, naive, sheltered person's version of like fucked up sex trafficking in Europe. It was, it was, it was too theatrically nihilistic in that it that if you're gonna do nihilism, do it, do it completely. Do it authentically. Well, I, and I'll I thought to, he I'll was have to bow to your superior uh, experience of the the the, the, the East <laughs> European uh, uh, fetish scene. Um, 
But you 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 liked the you liked the the underage sex stuff, but it just sounds like you wish he. <laughs> That's not use like. You, like is a bad word for that. You, you wish that Isaac met his boyfriend at a knitting club, you know, and he didn't have a neo-Nazi tattoo, and his dad was still alive rather than having overdosed. By the sounds of it. But like the the reason I didn't like those things is that they didn't seem coherent in the full story. Telkis was like, I'm going to write a William Burroughs-like tale or a Henry Miller-like tale. Um, and so he was like, oh, well, we need some fucking of underage boys. We need some sort of drug stuff. We need some racism stuff. We need like, like he was listing it all out in a way that that to me didn't seem authentic because I think to pull that off. So, so the reason like William Burroughs gets away with writing transgressive fiction is because he is a, he was a fucked up person, like a a genuinely fucked up person. So when you're reading his stuff, you get the feeling of that bizarre outsider perspective. Hmm. But the, all right. So I think you're welcome to disagree on, um, you know, whether you think it's convincing, but narratively like it does uh, work very well for the themes in terms of you know the boyfriend has like a a past where that he can never be reckoned you know he's never going to get rid of that's represented by the tattoo you know the the dad uh, the dad at first um is is quite a you know moral shining light who tries to teach Isaac not to be anti-Semitic unlike his mother but then like you know his body and mind degrades um you know and and he in his um senility before his overdose is like just as bad as anyone else so I I mean I can understand why um you know you would dislike it if stylistically you don't think uh it was carried off well but uh in terms of in terms of in terms of narrative and themes, I thought it was, it's, it's very cohesive. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. But is it though? Because I feel like most of the novel has, you know, they're trying to say this kind of lesson about, um, you know, Jewish identity and historical trauma and cultural heritage. Like there's all of that up until the point where he either becomes a vampire or there's like a vampiric metaphor that comes into play. And from then on, it tries to be nihilistic, right? It tries to say, well, there's no point to anything. And I don't know if it concludes affirming any of those original themes either like do you know what i mean like i don't know if i'm making sense here but like the the first the three quarters of the novel seem to be trying to say something and then the last quarter is like eat shit and die nothing matters um i i don't have uh i don't have as great a difficulty reconciling 
the themes that um, you're never free from your past and your roots, which, you know, would be the two-second summary of it. I don't have difficulty reconciling that with the nihilistic conclusion that we're all kind of doomed Um, Mm. because um, it's it's the old world uh, is bound to reach into the new... Um, you know, Europe is uh, this kind of rotting carcass of a society, and the the message seems to be that we can't escape. Uh, we can't escape that. So I I don't think um, the themes that the the past conditions the present is you know mutually exclusive with the theme that we're all, you know we're all doomed and the nihilistic conclusion. I think it actually is an argument to, to that conclusion. I Yeah, I can kind of, I can get what you mean in terms of it's this idea that you were so determined by the past that trying to create your own meaning now is pointless. Yeah, is that the like, point? Is like, that the point? Fatalistic, yeah. Yeah, okay. In which case, okay, it doesn't matter um, what he takes a photo of. the The demon is always there. Like he takes, he takes a photo of something quite innocuous, like a, a sleeping man on the train, and it's and then it's a horrific. You know, when it's developed, it's a horrifically disfigured, you know, sh- shrieking, painful expression on everyone. The the kind of magical realist components of it. Are you? Do you view them? So I thought. Originally, up until the last chapter, I thought that all of those kind of magical realist parts were metaphorical, like the idea of the curse, the idea of him being vampiric in the later half. Like we're, we're meant to view that as more of a um, a transformation in himself type thing, but not like literally supernatural. Um, but I'm pretty sure in the last chapter don't they try and say that this is like a real thing like that that vampire component is like a real thing look i it's just like uh it's like the ending of of uh, uh brett easton ellis's american psycho everyone obsesses with whether or not it's whether or not it quote unquote is real whether it's quote unquote a dream you know whether it really happened and in 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 both instances there are indications of both simultaneously there are Mm. times where you think oh this is impossible like he couldn't actually be offered to kill um this this um fat drunk russian within hours of meeting these people in a hotel room you know that would never happen or oh he couldn't actually have you know licked the blood up up off off the face of someone who who'd just been hit you know in in full view Mm. of her husband like you, you so there are you know times when you're like oh no it couldn't possibly be real but but then there are other times where you're reassured no no as unlikely as it seems that um you know his mother and his boyfriend colin are feeding him blood to keep him alive on the plane on the way home you're you're Mm. supposed to think that it actually happened i think it's both at the same time um i I don't but it has major impacts as to whether how you view that main character though because on one narrative, and this is what I had throughout most of the book, on the one narrative, here's this, like, self-indulgent artist who goes to Europe 
seeking out like poverty porn and like like as in he's wanting to revel in the darkness of everything a lot of it happens accident a lot of it happens incidentally like the, the whole prague adventure is um you know when he he meets up with a friend of his from photography school who despite being quite talented has had to sell out and um become a, a, a pornographer or, or to work for a pornographer and a lot of it he a lot of it he does just just he's just going with the flow i don't know how how much he seeks it out in every instance what about meeting the um the former lecturer i'm assuming who's a again this is another thing where i think it's just chalk is just throwing in edge where it's like he's he sees like this former lecturer this heterosexual lecturer who like tack it on is a former sex offender um like i don't know i i so that's what i mean if you take it if you take it as not supernatural, he is this little, you know, self-indulgent artist, tourist traveling around, trying to breathe in Europe and then just gets more and more goth as he goes through and then ends up kind of having a psychotic break. And I have no compassion for him if that's the case. Or there is this 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 metaphysical allure that's driving him to be there that is controlling him that is transforming him and he's becoming this thing because of this historical heritage to me the 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 two narratives matter a lot to whether or not i find this this character who is clearly an insert of the author this character interesting i think it's i think it's if i had to pick between those two it's the latter but i don't think that the question of whether or not um, he literally drinks blood or whether he just um, feels a lust for violence and bodily fluids um, metaphorically. I, I don't think that answers that question. One of the things that I was reading um, when I was looking at other reviews of this book is Robert Mann, who is this wanky Australian intellectual, he actually accuses the, the book of being anti-Semitic which I thought was an interesting, I don't really see, I think it's, I think it plays with the stereotypes of the Jewish people. Yeah, I think the characters are anti-Semitic. I don't think the novel is anti-Semitic. Like the the, the characters are constantly, um, you know, referencing, uh, you know, uh, things that were used to slur Jewish people like blood libel and, and mm. Christ killers. Um, but. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think the novel. It, it's the, the novel is not saying that they're endearing when when they when they say those things. They are grotesque when they um, scapegoat Jews or, or 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 are envious of them or hateful. So um, yeah, I don't really agree. The novel is anti-Semitic. I agree. I mean, if if anything, that's the kind of um, that's the part where um, Tilkus is actually quite restrained in that like. He could he could do a version of the narrative where it's very very clear that all of those like the the main character could be like no you're completely wrong because X Y and Z but then there is a component where the character almost seems um, not convinced but enticed by some of those anti-Semitic ideas at various points in the novel. Um, well, he he is he like he gets upset when uh, he's told not to take photographs in a in a um, Holocaust museum. Mm. Uh, he he has the run in with the guy in in Venice who shows him 
who shows him through the ghetto and is happy for him to take photos of um, like historical evidence of anti-Semitism in Venice. But then when he, um, Isaac, reveals that he's not Jewish, um, the, his, his guide through the ghetto loses his shit at him. So mm. perhaps, perhaps uh, that is, um, yeah, perhaps that is what Robert Mann's referring to. But I mean, that, that's, that's character. I will, I will actually give like Chilkus, like that, that having a flawed character is, it's fine. I don't think that that is necessarily saying anything about the message of the book. Not that I, like, I hate that idea of having an ethical message in a story generally. You know that, like, I think that you can be enticed by a narrative without the narrative having to teach you a lesson on something. That's the one thing we haven't spoken about yet, which was our our conversation that we had offline where you, you, you... I may have offended you slightly. Well, no, no, you you just seem to dislike narratives uh, where there's some connection being drawn between past and present because you you seem to have a view of, like, structure and agency that is that agents can, you know, perfectly uh, crash through structures like geography and ethnicity and class and things and, and be totally free of the past, like... That is a mischaracterization. Clearly, well, we're it's, it's not that it's not that far off. <laughs> Clearly, we're we're um we're influenced by our families, um, and obviously our families are influenced by their families, and there's a connection there. I think what I dislike, and it's it's mainly because this is how I view a lot of literature at the moment and a lot of writing at the moment is there is a very modern phenomena at the moment of people trying to derive meaning in their current lives by looking back. And I think the point of disagreement there is that you think that like everyone has always done that is your view. Yes. I think that's what the, the, the history of, um, fiction and and um, recorded history would indicate is that people have always tried to understand the past to and, understand the present. And, yes. and I disagree with that. I think that, that that quest for meaning by looking to heritage and culture is actually a new phenomena because only now do we have this 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 feeling of disconnect between where we came from and now. Um, and mainly I'm just sick of books exploring that idea. <laughs> this idea that we need to derive meaning from our heritage. Well, it's, I mean, that's generally pretty central to all, uh, all literature about the migrant experience. Um, so, yeah, I guess you dislike all... <laughs> oh, don't you, <laughs> Well, no, seriously. Like, you you want you want migrants to like get off get off a boat and and then be like, oh well, that old country that sure was something. Now we're in the new country, drawing a, a clear bright line under it, and let's not try and you know go go back to the motherland and understand anything about you know our geography and and place and ethnicity. I think that's unfair. I think well, I think it's not that I'm. Because because that's making me think sound like I'm I'm not interested in hearing about migrant family voices, and I am what, interested in hearing that. But what, I, sto- what story could what story could 
um, what stories of the migrant experience would you allow then if you don't allow a comparison between the old and new world and and how and how previous experience conditions present experience i'm not i'm not like a funder of literary grants i'm not allowing i'm not allowing anything um i i think i think there are meaningful things to be said about um growing up in a different sort of family to like a uh, regular Caucasian Anglo family. I think that there's something really, really interesting to be said there. I think it gets a bit different when writers source their heritage for content. I've yet to read anything interesting that has come from that, mainly because I don't think if you have grown up in Australia and you come from a migrant family that you necessarily have the best understanding of your country of origin that no, well. but that's that's the point it's that you what once you move from the old country to the new country you then uh you then have uh this cultural memory of the old country that's preserved but it's it's it itself is fictionalized it's a place that no longer exists uh in that way anymore and that's why that you, you'll you'll see um, this stuck out to me when I was traveling in Greece, and it also comes up constantly in Dead Europe in the early chapters. Is he's always talking about how Paul has Greek background, by the way. I don't think we've mentioned that. <laughs> uh, he's always talking about um, how there's bazooki music, like the traditional, you know, string instrument um, playing, and techno playing. They're always they're, they're always like clashing with each other in a in a city square somewhere. Mm. So um, the the traditional view of Greece and 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 modern Greece are always clashing. And you know you say that you don't f- find anything interesting that comes out of that, but I mean that is some of the most inter- interesting uh, stuff in this novel is like the political dimension, which is the confrontation between um, the the. In the new world, in Australia, there's a confrontation between cosmopolitan migrant culture. So you've got like Isaac's dad who studied in France um, and his first lover is an Italian um, bloke called Bruno Pallavecchio and they introduce him to high culture. And then there's a contrast that's drawn between them and the like ignorant racist um, like Australians in the community that they've migrated to. And I don't think that you could... I don't think that you could make those um, comparisons, uh, you know, if if you if you didn't think that their their culture and class was conditioning um, the way that they experienced the new world. Maybe this ultimately does come down to. Um, so so, I have a good example of this. My my ex boyfriend um, had an, was of an Italian background, um, and. And he uh, he always used to talk about the fact that he would, because um, he, he was a teacher, he used to teach in schools, and he would describe this difference between, like, kids who came from migrant backgrounds and what he called uh, Wheat Bix kids, which were these very, like, Australian, divorced from any kind of migrant background, very Australiana-type kids. Maybe my Wheat Bix kid prejudice uh means that i can't actually derive pleasure or understanding or joy from a novel that does explore those questions of heritage that's that's uh very that's uh it's disappointing to hear that you're missing out on that because um you know as a greek australian i can enjoy 
migrant stories and Wheatbix kid stories. So, I mean, I mean, I I'm just like I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Maybe I need to read more. It's just I cannot connect with those sorts of stories personally. Disclosure: You also um, don't think that uh, sexual identity is that. I mean, is is oh, that formative yeah. as as well? So it's we should we should mention that you know Jared is not just beating up on on migrant narratives. He just like really does it like a a, a, a collective uh, like c- class and identity uh, basis for personal identity uh, just doesn't feature very prominently in your worldview at all. No. And you can you can look bad at me for that, I suppose. But I don't I don't know. I can't. No, I'm trying to dig you out of a hole by saying that you're not singling out the migrant experience as being. Oh, um, okay. Not, you're trying not, to be nice. not, no. Not, well, not not worthy because you you actually don't think that you know you, you actually think that uh you know queer experience should be just about sex rather than marginalization. For example, like I, you don't like a collective identity based on that either. Well, so, and I think that that is the like that is the true nihilist position, isn't it? That all of these things are actually fictions. That these stories that we tell ourselves to give ourselves meaning in life are fictions that are baseless. Um, and that kind of is my position. Talking about sexual identity, though, I was expecting more of that in this book, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite go there. Mm, why, why, does, why don't you think it goes there? As in, um, there's no... I don't know. I, don't, I, I think that homosexuality as a as a topic to me didn't feature that much in the narrative i mean he fucked a lot of people but it wasn't we fucked did he fuck women as well am i correct in thinking that yeah he 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 does but it's particularly after the point that he's taken a liking to blood that he um he eats out a a woman on the train to berlin is i think the first sex act with a woman yeah so sex seems kind of incidental dental or the like the, he sleeps with a lot of well, he sleeps with a hetero, like a, a guy that's a straight guy he sleeps with guys that are getting married to women like is in sexuality i thought was kind of treated a bit interestingly in this and in that they didn't he didn't try and create a um a theme i think he definitely did i mean he talks about uh his his first his first lover um and his first love, uh, both being Italians who were older than him and explaining how, um, like, his relationships with them. He ex- Wait a minute. We say older than him, but, like, it was a abusive relationship. Well, one, one was 13 and 60 and the other was, uh, that was the gap, and the other was, like, 16 and 42 or something. Um, uh so there's that, there's the conversation that he has with his dad where his dad discovers that he's gay. Um, you like, also it's referred to constantly in his travels, like the, um, on the ferry, the, the sailors make some comment about, um, you know, him being 36 and only artists and gypsies, uh, you know, uh, travel on ferries alone at that age. Um, so I, you know, I think it, it clearly, um, is part of his uh, outsider perspective. He seems quite untroubled by it, though. Like, as in, I, I didn't see his sexuality as being a... Um, as opposed to his identity of being Australian in travelling through Europe. That was, like, a point of conflict. Yeah, well, he's, he's you know, he's out and proud. He's not, he's not 
troubled about it. He's not closeted. Mm. So I think I think if you were going to recommend this this novel, I think that this is this this is a very good book which divides Paul and I <laughs> in many ways, right? Like as in if if the discussion and narrative you find yourself siding with Paul, you will probably like this book. Uh, if you are amazing and nihilistic and you know DM me, uh, if you <laughs> agree with my themes and ideas. Uh, then you're probably not going to like this book. I think that that is the the best guideline. If you believe in the past uh, and that we don't uh, exist instant to instant as a a different person separated from all culture, class, geography, ethnicity and context of every kind. That is not... If you believe in the past, then I I think you'll appreciate this novel. Thank you to Paul for joining me. If you are a fan of the show and you use Apple Podcasts, uh, do us a favour and give us a written review on Apple Podcasts. The current ratings are great, but uh, you'll see that there are two interesting (laughs) recent written reviews, so I think it's probably good to get some balance on there. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Sinister or you can follow me at Jared Bartle. That's Jared with a Y. Until next time, stay sinister. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.